Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 18 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Vecchione. Welcome to today's episode. On today's show, we have Wendy Brown. As a certified trainer of the FACETS Neurobehavioral Model, Wendy Brown enjoys helping caregivers and community partners learn to think differently when working with those challenged by FASD or other neurobehavioral challenges. Wendy previously worked for Eastern Washington University through the Family Resource and Training Center as a mentor to foster families in southwestern Idaho. Wendy and her husband have parented over 80 children through foster care and adoption, most of whom had been neurally developmentally challenged. Now, settled in a small East Coast town, Wendy and her family continue to enjoy home educating, their RV travels, and working in the garden. I'm so happy that Wendy is joining us today for our topic, Peace for the Holiday Season. The Lord bless and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Numbers 6, 24 through 26. And that scripture is our inspiration today from our guest, Wendy Brown, who is not only a certified trainer of the FACETS Neurobehavioral Model and adoptive and foster parent, but also a very dear friend of mine. And Wendy's family is a treasure to our family. Thank you for being a guest on FASD Hope and welcome, my friend. Thank you. Thank you so much. So Wendy and I have been friends for about two years now, and she has seen our family and particularly my husband and I grow in the neurobehavioral model. And just she has seen how positively we are working to apply um, everything that she has taught us and everything that we've learned in our lives. And um, again, we're just so blessed to know her and to know her family. And I've asked Wendy to come and be a guest today because not only does she have an infinite amount of wisdom, particularly with the neurobehavior model, with FASD, with brain-based differences, but she has a wonderful acronym called PEACE. And we have shared this actually in our parent FASD parent support group. I believe it was last year. It's a wonderful acronym for parents, caregivers, teachers to use when thinking about the holidays. This episode is airing um, in the beginning of the holiday season. So we have Christmas, Hanukkah, um, New Year's, Kwanzaa. We have, we have these wonderful holidays that we will be celebrating as families. And I've asked Wendy to talk more about this beautiful acronym that is not only helpful and practical, but it's also inspirational. But before we get to that, Wendy, just to share, if you can share your, your family's journey with us and your journey into parenthood and your experience with FASD. Sure, I can do that. Well, originally, I met you through a mutual individual before I was ever even in the state here. 
I was looking for connections um, prior to moving states, doctor's offices, therapists, specialists. And I had given this individual a list of things that I needed. And while this individual was not able to help me, I was given your name and your number and we connected. And that was really just about exactly two years ago. Yeah. And it was cool because you guys almost bought a house on our street. (laughs) We did. (laughs) But it wasn't the house that God had in mind for us. And we know that now. And we're very happy with where we have landed. And so from there, we realized, oh, we have teenagers that are the same age. And we have younger children that are very close in age and we homeschool and we have similarities in what we do with our children and in our likes. I still need to get you in an RV though. (laughs) You, you, COVID may, you and COVID may very well do that. (laughs) It's great fun. But from there, it's been conversations and text messages and phone calls and meeting in person, especially pre-COVID, and watching our children develop relationships and having so much in common as moms. But then again, our husbands also have a lot in common as dads and as husbands. And so that's really strengthened our ability to just talk freely. And I think one of the biggest things that has been a part of that is our faith in God. In our home, without God, we really don't know how we would get up in the morning and face the day sometimes. And I know that you guys feel the same way. Yes. And there is such a leveling of the playing field in communication, in everything, when you have that common bond. So I'm, I'm very grateful that God has directed our paths to walk alongside of each other right now. Absolutely. As for parenting... Many, many years ago, it seems, (laughs) we had biological children and knew that we just had room in our home, in our hearts for more, but our own children was not going to be an option at that time. And we really just felt like adoption was the right way to go. So we became registered for adoptive placements um, in state and out of state We were selected for a child who right before placement did something that meant the child could not be placed in our home, would need a different home. And that was very hard, very hard on all of my children. And unfortunately, just a couple months later, we had the exact scenario play out again. So with two failed adoptions before the children even came to live with us, the rest of the family was really skeptical of do we want to adopt? And so after moving, we decided to make our foster license active because where we lived, if you were an adoptive parent, you were also able to be a foster parent. It's what just one application, one training. And so I made the phone call and said, we will take a foster placement and we would be happy to take anyone other under the age of seven, basically because that was about two years younger than our youngest child. So the next day we got a phone call for a 17 year old teenager. And I'm scratching my head thinking, I was sure I said zero to seven, not 
17. Maybe they just read it wrong and read a one into seven. And I said, well, let me think about it. I need to talk about my options with the family. And so we pulled the family together into a meeting and it was pretty humorous because in the middle of that meeting, the caseworker called back to say, oh, I think I forgot to tell you the 17 year old has a child who's going to turn one next week. And my kids, when I turned around and told them this, said, say yes, mom, say yes. And that was our first placement, a 17-year-old with a little boy who turned one a week later. And we made a beautiful cake for him. And that young lady became a sister to our teenage, well, young teens at that point, and is still in touch. And she's grown to be married with other children now and thriving And we're very blessed to still know her. But that was the beginning of a road that would take us through a life with around 100 children from newborn all the way through age 18. We had teenagers. We had other teen moms that would come. We had young ladies out of the sex trade. We have taken drug-addicted children and drug-addicted infants. There were times when we would say, we can't take this. And it might be somebody in a wheelchair simply because our only bathroom with bathing capabilities was upstairs. And if somebody was wheelchair bound, that would be very difficult. Although I did ask the department if they'd be willing to put in a shower or a bath downstairs. And they said, no. (laughs) Sometimes we said other things because we weren't comfortable with it. For instance, we said, we won't take a child with vision impairment. We won't take a child with severe special needs. Interestingly, not only did we take those children, we ended up adopting them as well. And they have been amazing blessings in our lives. I will not say that every day is easy. I will say that every day is interesting. I can't imagine your family without those children too. I mean, (laughs) you know, knowing, I, I believe there's an expression that says, tell God what you want and he'll give you what you need. And, yes. And that sounds like it has applied to your family when you, uh, when you decided to grow your family through foster care and adoption. Yes. All four of them have a brain-based disability. Some of them, it is due to drugs, including alcohol. Um, some, it is due to other traumas. And that was the case with many of the young children, especially that we had coming in and some of the older children, their brains had been affected by drugs, including alcohol before they were born. And several, even after they were born with alcohol through bottles or sharing their parents smoked drugs. And so we came to a point where we needed help. We needed more information. We really felt like we were missing something and everything that we had ever been taught about parenting wasn't working. And when you've had children by birth who don't have medical needs, who don't have drug addiction at birth, and all of a sudden you've gone from parenting them to parenting these children who just sometimes struggle to face the day, it's hard. And we knew that there must be something else out there for training, for information. And so we started just digging and did not actually find what we were looking for. 
but we were passed around from one agency to another. And then someone told us about facets. And so I drove out and attended a facets conference. And on the very first day that evening, my husband was trying to put to bed one of our children who was just screaming and screaming and would not go to sleep. And based on some things that I had learned that day, I told him, try this. And he said, it's not going to work. And I said, just try it. Please just try it. And he said, fine, I'll call you back. It was about 15 minutes later. I got a text from him and all it said was, it worked. And our little one who struggled every single night to go to bed, we made one fly by the seat of your pants accommodation and it was instant. I'll willingly go to bed. And to this day, we have continued to accommodate that bedtime routine and it's working because we're thinking differently. And that's the one thing that facets really taught me was to think differently, how to get outside of the box and really think, really look at what it is that my child needs, that their brain needs, not what I need or what I want. So facets offered more training. They have a training of the trainers. And I went back to the university that I worked with. And I went back to the agency that I was working with in the foster adoption realm at that time. And I asked them, would you help me with this? And they saw the need and they helped. And so I attended that training of the trainers through facets, which is a one year, absolutely amazing program. And I learned so much and it's what we base our daily life on. My husband and I, this morning, we're saying, okay, so we need to accommodate this child in this way today and this child in this way today. We're going to need more adults on board. And so we're one-on-oneing it today just because of where the kids are at. Being a facets trainer, it hasn't changed our life, really. It's the knowledge that facets provided to us that has changed our lives. And as a faith-based person, I think the biggest thing for me is there's not... I'm not sure how to say this. There's not a conflict between what facets taught, teaches, and between what my Bible says. And that's really big to me. When you're learning how to parent differently, when you've been a parent for decades and you have to think differently. And so many times I hear my big children say, well, you wouldn't have done that with us. And I have to stop and say, no, I wouldn't have, or I didn't, because that's not how we were raised to parent, not that we were bad parents, we just parented differently. And now with children with brain-based disabilities, there's a lot of things that I have to do differently because they can't understand consequences or cause and effect or timelines. And so facets has really been a huge game changer for us. I've noticed that in facets and in learning the knowledge that facets training has given me that there's so much grace in facets based training, because like you said, it's, it's not the traditional approach to training. It's recognizing what your child needs and and what you may think is a bad behavior is actually a symptom and having grace in that. And that's actually going to be a topic of one of our upcoming episodes is where brain-based and grace parenting meet. 
because there are many similarities in the two. Absolutely. So Wendy, before we talk about today's topic, can you please share with our audience what exactly is FACETS and FACETS training and how can they go about learning more about it? Absolutely. FACETS is spelled F-A-S-C-E-T-S, and it stands for Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Consultation, Education, and Training Services. And it can be found at facets.org. F-A-S-C-E-T-S dot org. FACETS offers hope. It's improving lifelong outcomes through a brain-based approach. And it is teaching others how to think differently, how to look at where your child is, whether it's school or home or a venue in the community, and whether or not that is a good fit and how to make that fit better if it is not a good fit. And there's a lot more that goes into it. I can't say anything negative about facets, honestly, because it has been such a game changer for us. And as a faith-based person, like I said, it aligns very nicely. But even for those who don't have a faith connection, it is going to be an amazing change in thinking to accommodate the children, the teenagers, or even the adults in our life that we are struggling with trying to see eye to eye with in how to best help them. I also think that facets training as a parent or caregiver, you're a detective more. You, you look for things that are symptoms or potential triggers, and you're more proactive in saying, okay, you know what, this could, this could possibly be a trigger or this could possibly, you know, have to do with this symptom. So this is how we accommodate. I think it's for our family, it's made us realize the value of, of meeting our son where he's at. And it's especially also reminded us that we're making so many accommodations every day. It's just, sometimes we forget that they are, you know? <laughs> so I, I am so thankful for the FESIS training and, um, and I'm so glad that, that you were able to bring it to our area. So let's talk about hope and peace during the holidays. That's our topic. In the holiday season, when we talk about Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, New Year's, what is it about the holiday season that dysregulates those that have an FASD or another brain-based diagnosis? Honestly, Natalie, I think the holiday season goes back to September in many families. And I know that raises a lot of eyebrows to say September, but that's when school starts. But if you think about it, that is when school starts. And schools are decking the halls with leaves and branches and fall paraphernalia and then it goes straight into Halloween. Kids are talking about what they're dressing up as or what party they're going to, depending on the age of the children. And then it goes into Thanksgiving. And other people may have birthdays in there or anniversaries or weddings that are going on, which become another holiday. But Thanksgiving is days off of school. And it's a break from school. And it's normally outside of the COVID world, getting together for big family meals and a lot of food and warmth. And then it continues on and you have, you do have Hanukkah or Christmas or Kwanzaa. And then at the end you have New Year's. And I'm sure there's other holidays in there that I'm not aware of or that I don't celebrate, but it's the same thing. They're holidays, they're big events in a family's lives. New Year's kind of sums up that September 
school start through the middle of winter. And it seems like we just lose our kids through that time. They're dysregulated. What is the reason behind it? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of lights towards the fall winter holidays between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And lights can be very much a trigger for children. It could be that the lights are blinking or that they're bright. With one of our children, we realized colored tree lights or colored house lights would cause this individual to lose focus, not be able to concentrate. And so our Christmas tree is only blue and white now, and we only have white, soft lights, and they're only on for certain hours, and that's that's handleable. What are some other areas? Heat is a big one. It's a cooler season, especially if you live in the Northwest or the Northeast. And with cooler weather, people tend to wear more layers. They may bump the heat up in a home. They may turn on a gas or propane log fireplace or a wood burning stove. And that added heat can be a game changer for a child. And now they want to take off their clothes or they don't understand why they are dysregulated, but their, their body temperature is wrong. Not necessarily wrong for society, but wrong for their brain. Um, foods. A child may be going to grandma's house and grandma has always had Thanksgiving ham. And this year it's duck. And that's a major trigger because it's a change. Or it could be just the amount of food is too much, too much stimulus. It could be the smells all mixed up, all the people, the noise, the talking, the people that have not seen you for a year or several months. And so all of a sudden they're firing questions one after the other, or so it seems to a child. And all they want to do is go and hide under a table or leave their room. On top of that, academically, children start off September, October, with a lot of review from the previous year. And by November, they're getting into new subject matter and school's becoming a little harder at a time when their brains are overstimulated because of the holidays and everything surrounding the holidays. So there's so many ways that this holiday season can dysregulate someone who was born addicted to alcohol or other drugs, or who has suffered from a traumatic brain injury or from trauma or from anything genetic. There's so many different brain-based diagnoses that can cause an individual, whether a small child or an older individual to be dysregulated. And we need to be cognizant of that as parents and caregivers or teachers or, or in any role that we play, that what we're seeing are symptoms of this either overload or change or processing. These are all factors that we need to be cognizant of. And I'm so glad that you're, you're sharing these with us. So before we dive into the PEACE acronym, how does COVID-19 on top of the holiday season add to this dysregulation mix? I mean, it's, it's going to be much different this year. What we see are symptoms. So when we're seeing negative behaviors, bad attitudes, those are symptoms of the triggers, whether it was the lights that triggered them and now they're crawling under the table, that's a symptom. And now we add COVID where we're asking children, adults to wear masks 
if they are in a group. And we're asking people to not congregate in groups, which as far as the medical community is concerned, really does mean don't go to grandma's for Thanksgiving dinner or for Christmas dinner. Don't have everybody over for the holidays. And that's really, really hard. Some individuals with a brain-based disability are extremely social. And to take that social activity out of the holidays is a trigger, which will have symptoms that we see as behaviors. For other families, COVID-19 may be seen as a blessing and it eliminates a lot of the clutter or a lot of the noise, a lot of the smells. And so those individuals who like that may be calmer. But I think the biggest thing is what we as parents, as caregivers, as educators, what we do with COVID in relation to our typical holiday plans. And what we do with that, as we put everything together, and I recommend planning a lot in advance, it's going to have an effect on our children and our children feed off of us. And if we are stressed, they are going to be more stressed. And if we are dysregulated, they will be more dysregulated. So I think that COVID-19, it has the potential to be extremely additive to dysregulation, but it also has the possibility of toning things down and giving everybody a really peaceful year without the distractions, without the added stimulus, the added triggers. So I, I think we won't really know how COVID is going to affect the holiday season of 2020 until 2021 and we're able to look back. And there hopefully will be some silver linings, especially as you said, since many of our kids that have an FASD or a brain-based diagnosis, doing a quieter holiday is, is more, it is more accommodating for them. So that's a really interesting answer. And I guess we really won't know until next year how COVID affects, you know, this year. So Let's talk about this beautiful PEACE acronym. You shared it with us. It was about a year ago in the support group that, that we co-facilitate, which is now online. Let's talk about the PEACE acronym for the holidays and how we can apply it to our families. I actually came up with this PEACE acronym two years ago when we were moving and we were just barely settled and everything was in boxes and it was written for Christmas but it can really be applied for any holiday, any birthday, big event. So PEACE is P-E-A-C-E. P stands for plan. E, evaluate. A, accommodate. C, clean. And E, eat. So I'll go back and break that down a little bit. Starting at the beginning with plan P, I recommend making an actual written out plan for the holidays. For our home, we've already done that. We have we don't celebrate Halloween, but we celebrate a time of faith-based harvest. And that could be anywhere between the middle of October and the middle of November, just depending on when schedules coincide in a pre-COVID world. <laughs> But the things that I look at are what happens on the days leading up to Christmas or to Thanksgiving? What is the planning that is going into those? What are the triggers? Are people arriving a day early, two days early? Are we traveling? Are there new meals 
our meal times off kilter? What happens on Christmas Day? Not just the simple, oh yeah, we're going to open presents and eat. No, but what happens time by time? What's the first thing that happens in the morning? What's the next thing? Itemize out that time. Who's going to be involved? Is there protein first thing? Protein is a very big issue with our brain-based individuals because their brains work so much harder than a typical person's brain. And they need that protein to keep their blood sugar elevated. If we're talking Christmas and the opening of presents, we always have black garbage bags right there under the tree and they're available first thing for putting all of that wrapping in so that it's out of sight, it's taken care of. Are there boxes, packaging? If I'm giving my younger children gifts that are encased in plastic and zip ties and cardboard packaging, I generally go through, if I know it's something that we won't be returning, and I make certain that all of that is removed and the item is just the item. And if it needs batteries, the batteries are all in it already. It's ready to go. Do you have a pre-labeled Ziploc for stocking items and other small goodies in? What happens when their stocking is opened up? Where does all of that go? So I have Ziploc bags, big gallon size ones. Sometimes I use the, the larger two and a half gallon bags. And I've pre-written everybody's name on those bags. Now, when they open their stockings, they can put everything in that Ziploc bag. It's clear. They can see all of their items. And if they're getting other small items as gifts, they can go in that bag as well. I make certain that I have batteries in all sizes that are common. The C2032s, AAAs, AAs, Cs, Ds, those are the most common in our home. I always have extras just in case somebody else gifts a gift without batteries. I always have scissors at the ready to cut strings or to cut other packaging. And then I look at what happens after Christmas or Thanksgiving or any holiday. Did you remember to plan for the letdown effect? After any event, after any holiday, after any birthday, after going to a relative's house or a friend's house, there is going to be a letdown effect. If it's something that happens every week or every day, going to a neighbor's house or going to grandma's house if they live close by, then that might not be as big of a letdown. But if they don't see grandpa, but every three months or twice a year, and now they're going to grandpa's house and they're leaving, there will be a letdown. So I plan, I make an actual written out plan for each holiday. Right now I have a notebook and I have harvest and I have Thanksgiving and I have Hanukkah and I have Christmas. And this year we also have sibling Christmas that we're adding, but I plan, I write it out. I write out what is going to happen. I already have listed on my Christmas page what the protein is going to be. Not just that there will be protein, but what it is going to be. And then that puts us into E for evaluate. I look over my written plan very carefully to see what is sensory friendly, what is time sensitive, and what needs to be adjusted for my children. 
if something does not meet with the needs of my children, I have to change it because I'm not changing my child. I evaluate the physical and invisible environment that we will be in each day. I look at any of it being more than my children can handle or being okay. So this plan that I write out, it has to be flexible. It has to be adapted. What does that look like? Well, for Christmas, which I think is one of the biggest holidays coming up for a lot of families, my plan includes big pillows on the floor so that they can sit on them. They can lay on them. They can put them on top of them. They're sensory. We take a break. As we go around the room opening presents, it's not just dive into them and everybody open everything. It's one person open one present and everybody gets to see it. And we go in age order. And then if the oldest was the first person to go, the next round starts with the next oldest. And we've, we've done that for years, but it really works so that everybody can see what everybody gets. It slows things down. And as needed, about every 30 minutes, we take a break. We take a brain break. We've got to keep their blood sugar up. We've got to keep them regulated. So it's going to be some protein and some carbs, some crackers or fruit. Pepperoni sticks seem to be a big one right now. But we evaluate that plan to see what needs changed. And sometimes if that means that we're going to someone else's house, we may need to be calling and asking who's going to be there. Are they bringing any friends? Do you know what the menu is? And looking at things in advance. A is accommodate. Make note of any accommodation that you or others need to be aware of to make the season peaceful. Do you need more snacks? In general, we plan for every one and a half hours. During the holiday season, especially on the day of a holiday, that might be every 30 to 45 minutes that I'm popping something in the mouths of my children. Do we need more distractions, more activities, more fidgets? Now a distraction could be, do they need to go outside and walk around? Not, do they need to go sit in front of a screen and watch a movie? Do they need activities? Do they need crayons and a coloring book? Do they need our counting bears and the counting cups so that they can practice sorting? Do they need fidgets? That may be a fidget spinner for some people. For others, it might be a bubble timer watching the color water go from the top to the bottom in little bubbles. It might be a silicone bracelet. It could be a pair of sunglasses. Fidgets come in so many shapes and sizes and forms. Do we need to arrive later or do we need to leave early to any event? Sometimes we need to do both, arrive late and leave early and just make a brief presence so that we can keep our children regulated. Did I remember earmuffs? Sound is a big trigger for many of my children. And so we have individual sound or noise canceling earmuffs that they have. Lollipops, other crucial items for success. Is there a favorite blanket? Does a child have a binky and a special binky holder? Does a teenager have a special jacket or hat? What is the environment that you will be in? This involves making that phone call or sending a message to the other people that you might be sharing their home with. What are the colors that will be there? Is there going to be anything other than the furniture? What are the lights on the trees? Is there any other decoration up in the house? A lot of people like to put greenery up in the corners where the crown molding would go. 
that can be oppressive to some children or to teenagers or even adults. Is the clothing for an outing appropriate for the needs of each child? Most often we think appropriate clothing for the weather. My child is going to need boots or tennis shoes, long pants, long sleeves, a sweatshirt, a coat, a hat, maybe gloves, because it's winter depending on where you live. But even in snowy climates, my child may need shorts and a light jacket because walking into a situation where there's a lot of people and the temperature is going to be raised, my child will overheat in long pants, long sleeves, and jacket. And so if we just start out in shorts and a tank top, I know my child will be okay. That jacket can come on or off. I can throw in pants or another coat or gloves and a hat in case a bunch of children want to go outside and my child wants to join in. But most often, knowing my children, that's not what they're going to be doing. We need to know the clothing for an outing appropriate for the needs of each child. And then C is clean. Clean up your written plan to match the accommodations. Not talking about cleaning your house here. This is cleaning up our plan. Make sure that others are aware of the accommodating plan as needed. That may mean making a phone call to grandma and grandpa's house to say, okay, I'm going to need another table in another room with a chair. I'm bringing a pillow for that chair and I'm bringing the dishes for the table because we're accommodating this individual. It may be seeing if there's a seating arrangement and saying, my child needs to sit between these people. You need to write that into the plan. In the midst of the season, this is a great time to also clean house, removing the visual stimulus that is too much for the children, removing broken or damaged toys, quietly making room for new things so that rooms are not overwhelming. So this isn't the dusting and sweeping and mopping. This is looking visually or auditorily to see and hear what the environment is. Many families like to have background music playing during the holidays. I have children who cannot attend those events if the music is playing in the background because it's too much. I have other children that the music in the background is okay. So the compromise and the accommodation is the individual who needs the music has their own set of headphones that they are permitted to wear with their own music that is canceled at a certain decibel. Cleaning up the environment, already removing those damaged items or broken items, that just gets them out of the way. It cleans things to where new toys are welcome and not added to chaos. And then the last E is eat. In this busy season, whether it's Christmas or Kwanzaa, a wedding, it's super important to remember to eat, not just meals, but planned out protein and carb snacks that will keep littles and bigs regulated. I pack extra snacks wherever I go in case we get caught in traffic or the unknown. Tote a cooler if you need to. Cheese sticks, beef sticks, nuts, crackers, peanut butter. Pick what your crew likes, but be prepared. Don't leave the house if you're going to be gone for more than 30, 45 minutes without taking snacks. Because when we can keep their blood sugars regulated, our children do so much better. 
And don't neglect a bit of candy or sweets if they just need to bump their blood sugar up faster and then follow it up with the protein and the carbs. A small peppermint or the soft peppermints, a lifesaver. They come in the, the green, the blue, and the orange packages, not the fruit ones. Just something to suck on until cheese is available or some meat is available. Those can be a lifesaver. And as I go through this, I plan, evaluate, accommodate, clean, and remember to eat. We have peace in our homes. We have peace through every holiday. Since we have been doing this, we don't have the, I hate Christmas, or do I have to go to that? Because it's going to be okay. Every holiday is going to have peace in our house. When you first taught this in our support group last year, resonated with everybody because the holidays, the holiday season, and like you said, even beginning in, in September, really just is such a trigger for so many of our children and teens. This is a beautiful way to share accommodations and just remind people of how easy it is to make these accommodations. And if you're proactive, then you are five steps ahead of the game. And it's peaceful. And for our audience, I love how Wendy has shared with me over the past two years and our family has incorporated so many of these wonderful accommodations. I love how Wendy focuses on how we need to just simplify and focus on the true meaning of each holiday. So the true meaning of Christmas, the true meaning of Hanukkah. A lot of what we see, what we think, again, our behaviors are actually symptoms. So if we can address the symptoms proactively, and if we can also just really cut all of the clutter and get down to the true meaning of the holiday. So the true meaning of Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Christ. So with each holiday, we focus on the true meaning of it and what we're doing is we're accommodating and we're eliminating what the outside world tells us how to celebrate the holidays and, and doing how our family, how our children need to have our holiday celebrated. And I, I love the beauty in that. Wendy, thank you so much. And I'm writing in all of our program notes, not only the facets information, also the acronym of peace and how you can achieve that in your holiday this season. Wendy, thank you so much for being on FASD Hope. Oh, thank you. And I always like to end our episodes with what we call hope takeaways, how you can give just a final inspiration of hope to those families who are listening. How can we have hope in this upcoming holiday? I think the biggest thing that makes an impression on me today is realize our children, our teenagers, the adults in our life with a brain-based diagnosis, they aren't going to change. We, the parents, the caregivers have to be the ones to change. We have to see what the triggers are, what the symptoms are, what the accommodations need to be, and we need to instigate those changes. And I think when we can do that, our children will find peace as well in their holidays. Absolutely. I am so blessed to know you, my friend and my mentor, and uh, 
my, my facets trainer on call. <laughs> you have been such a godsend and I'm so thankful to, uh, to know you. And if you want to reach out to Wendy, we will be posting her email on our fasdhope.com website. Again, with the facets organization contact information and with this lovely acronym that will help you through your holiday season. And we will catch you next time. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Vecchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out FASDHope.com or please leave us a five-star rating and follow us on Podbean, iTunes, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us next week. And remember to be informed, take care, and always have hope.